0: Hold on, let me make sure I didn't just lie. Okay, no, yeah, I was right. Sorry, I do that a lot because I just say facts and I'm like, wait. Don't
1: worry, I fact check you when I'm editing. Thank God. I do it a lot. Wrong delete, you
0: know? Lying ass bitch. Not you,
1: but both of (laughs) us. Welcome back to the Shaking Not Scared podcast. Here with you as always, your hosts, Eric and Vivi. Today, we're going to be talking about the 1974 film, Black Christmas, directed by Bob Clark. But before we get into that, how are you, Vivi?
0: I feel like I'm much better than last week. I was really brain foggy. I'm currently brain foggy. I
1: don't even know what I'm doing here right now. I like literally just stand around and stare off into space. You might have noticed it on one of our wine TikToks because I was just like, it tastes good.
0: We're very awkward on TikTok if you want to watch us there. We're tasting a wine calendar.
1: So we also went to C2E2 this past weekend. It was really fun. We were there every day.
0: It was so much, so much stuff.
1: It wasn't as many people as usual though. Yeah.
0: I don't want to like undersell it for people who have never gone because it's pretty fun. But this year I do think having to reschedule because of COVID affected them. So we're hoping it'll be back to its glory next year. We still saw some pretty cool stuff this year.
1: Definitely still lost money like I always do there.
0: Oh yeah. We buy so many interesting things.
1: More tame than usual. I usually buy like statues and things like that. But this time we went with missions for the holidays.
0: Yeah, it kind of helped us get gifts for other people instead.
1: We also attended a couple of panels. We saw the Creep Street Pod on Friday. They were talking about the Iroquois Theater Fire. That's one of my favorite stories. Once we went on that ghost tour one time, we heard a little bit about it. I was like, oh shit, I didn't even know that this happened here.
0: Yeah, it is a super messed up story. I believe they recorded what they presented that Friday. So their episode might be out. We'll double check that just in case. But they were super nice. They also got married on Halloween last year, which was really funny.
1: Yeah, congrats if you're listening to this. <laughs> the Nostalgic Critic from YouTube was there. That panel was fun because it was about, what's your favorite movie that most people hate or vice versa? Like, what's a movie that you hate but everybody loves? I wanted to go up there, but the line was so long. I wanted to yeah. say that Season of the Witch was a movie I hate but people love.
0: <laughs> Controversial opinions from this podcast. What would be yours? I don't know. I have to think about this one because there's a lot of movies that are popular that I have not seen. And I feel like it'd be one of those.
1: haven't seen it yet, but I'm but sure I think I'll hate it. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> There's
0: a reason I haven't seen
1: it. <laughs> we also saw the Ghostly Podcast. They were covering a lot of just different ghostly urban legends around the Chicagoland area. They covered the Juliet Prison, the Sausage King, and they also talked about the Lincoln Park Zoo Cemetery, which is also another favorite of mine from the Chicagoland area, is that if you are ever in the Chicagoland area and are driving on Lakeshore Drive, you can know that you're probably driving over thousands of bodies that haven't been dug up because there used to be a cemetery there.
0: Yeah, it is one of those stories that we heard on the ghost tours again just goes to show you if you live somewhere really old a lot of dead bodies are there
1: i'd love to do a ghost tour over in like the east coast oh
0: yeah jealous i think uh, our friends said they did one in salem i can't even imagine the shit you would see
1: we also walked around and asked people who were horror content creators artists a lot of vendors what their favorite horror movies were so what i'm gonna do now is i'm gonna play a clip of
0: everyone who we asked and we'll link them somewhere too
1: hey my name is taylor Gledhill. i'm from legion m based in las vegas my favorite horror movie is As Above So Below. I love the fact that it's like a horror Indiana Jones film and I think that the way that it sort of looks at grief and loss is a really cool way to kind of like play with the themes of horror and everything. I think it's a really interesting exploration of what it's like to lose a parent and work your way through that and uh, I also think it's just cool. The fact that they get lost down in the catacombs and everything and like there's all the creepy stuff that gets stuck down there. I would never want to go into the catacombs like that so it definitely (laughs) kind of hit me in a really like visceral place but that's why I love that movie. My name is Mandy. I am from Los Angeles and I work for Legionum Entertainment. My favorite horror movie is The Ring and I know that's very generic to say but As far as horror movies go, I feel like the storylines are never actually good, and like it can be good horror, it can be good jump scares, the makeup can be really good, all of those things, but typically, in my experience, the storylines are just not great. But The Ring, not only did it have an amazing storyline, but it made sense, it was believable, and that's why that movie will always be the best horror movie in my opinion.
0: My name is Sean Givens and I'm from Los Angeles. John Carpenter's the thing. I'm Melora at Malora Mylin, pretty much anywhere. I like the descent. It's just super creepy and spooky and I love all the tight knit places that cause anxiety, so it's fun. I'm Kelly. I'm with Jellico. Uh, you can find me at jellico.com or on Instagram or any social media under Jellico. I would have to say The Thing, the original. Uh, my name is
1: uh, Kyle Spain. I go by We Are All Corrupted. Uh, you can find all my stuff on Instagram by the same name. My favorite horror movie is Hereditary. It's one of the newer ones, but I think it's one of the best that I've ever seen executed. So. Uh, hey, what's up? My name is Christian Masao. My Instagram is Christian, M-A-S-O-T, and I'm out of New Jersey. My favorite horror movie is the Friday the 13th. The whole series is like just awesome. I grew up with it, so it really has a special place in my heart. It's that humor meets horror, and that's just, I I love it, you know. My name's Stacy. I'm with T-Pub Comics. We're a small publishing company based out of London, UK, and we specialize in doing horror comics, psychological horror, darker stuff. My favorite horror movie of this very second right now in this very year is Parasites because it's just, every time I watch it, it's a perfect mixture of humor. It's a perfect mixture of twists and like emotions but also like
0: what the fuck is happening and it's just so good from time to time it's a masterpiece people were really stumped by this question
1: there was even some who were like how who what genre like what what do i answer and we were like honestly just whatever whatever you think yeah (laughs) that was pretty much all the coverage we had
0: i think so it was so much in three days
1: Vivi, he's still not recovered from it. I have it. not. Neither is Loki. What do you have for creepy content?
0: I checked out this movie. It's been out for a while now. It's called St. Maud. I think it came out in 2019. And I saw a lot of people talk about it when it was released. It's an A24 movie. It is very interesting. Like, I don't know if I even want to say that much because we might cover it. We might not. Very weird. Very interesting watch. Very
1: vague review. <laughs> yeah, for real. What is it even about? It's the synopsis?
0: Basically, a young woman who is a nurse experiences something very, very, very traumatic as a nurse and then be comes a born again Christian and she now does hospice care. She has a patient that is dying from cancer. She becomes very delusional and believes that she has to save her soul from the devil. It's not a horror movie that I've seen before. Let's leave it at that. Because okay. again, I kind of want to talk about it. Was it scary? It is scary in the non traditional sense. There's some body horror in there and then like a couple jump scares. So it has some scary elements.
1: You seem excited about it. So I'm assuming you like.
0: It is weird. I, <laughs> I want to talk about it because it's weird.
1: Gotcha. Well, that's all we got for content. What do you have for comfort content?
0: I don't think I have anything for comfort content this We went week. to Chris Kittle Market. Oh, yes. That is fun because it's the first time it's open since the pandemic and we get the little mugs. It's essentially like a little German marketplace. Sells all Christmas decorations. German food, beer, pretzels. Oh, the pretzels are so good. Yeah. Mm. That's what I look forward to. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, if we don't have any other comfort content, there's nothing more comforting than it just, just generally being the holiday season. And we still got to do a lot of shopping. So that's not comforting. It's not comforting. Yeah, I don't think we're gonna be comfortable until it's all over. (laughs) (laughs)
0: And then it's just depressing because there's nothing to look forward to.
1: My birthday. My nerdy 30. My nerdy dirty 30. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Let's talk about this drink.
0: Yeah. We decided to make a holiday punch because we've done a lot of cream based cocktails lately. This one's a little more on the fruit side. So I made like this cranberry syrup with some mulling spices, nutmeg, clove, and cinnamon. We mixed it with some cranberry juice, pineapple juice. And because Miss Mac, the house mother of the sorority in this movie, is always drinking sherry, we added some sherry and gin i've never had sherry apparently it is a dessert wine
1: did you taste it on its own
0: no but i smelled it and it did not seem appetizing there's also different kinds there's cream sherry extra dry sherry which is what we got
1: the kind she's drinking in the movie looks like it's a whiskey bottle what color is it
0: what we have is clear but what she's drinking is a brown brown. liquor yeah that being said that appetizing description do you want to try it sure Cheese. Cheese.
1: That is quite sour. Really? Yeah, it's really sour.
0: It's not something that you would say like, oh, this tastes like a holiday drink, but it's definitely delicious if you like something on the sweeter side. Yeah,
1: I'd say if it's holidays, I could see myself drinking this opening presents. Happily.
0: What would you rate it?
1: I would rate it a 3.25. I'm going to
0: give it 3 out of 5. You don't taste the sherry. We should taste it on its own. Oh, actually, you know what? We should do a shot of sherry. Let's see if I even fail first. Okay. Give me a chance. (laughs) But I like this. It's a chill drink. Try it and let us know what you think. I'm always so surprised when people tell us they've tried the cocktails we recommended. Like, I know we're a cocktail podcast, but drinks are so subjective and people like very different recipes, so.
1: On that note, if you know somebody who likes cocktails and isn't aware of our show... To know about our show. Now, you ready for fun facts?
0: Yeah, real excited.
1: Black Christmas was inspired by a few themes, according to screenwriter Roy Moore, including the urban legend of the babysitter and the man upstairs. It's super common urban legend. The babysitter gets a the call. The calls
0: are coming from inside the house.
1: Goes and finds kids either murdered or gets yes. themselves murdered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And murders that happened in Montreal. However, there seems to be confusion on which murders. Many believed he was referring to Wayne Bowden, also known as the Vampire Rapist.
0: Sounds familiar. Refresh my memory.
1: The only detail I have here is that he killed five people between 1969 and 1971 and would leave bite marks on his victims. This
0: one I don't think I'm aware of. It's in Canada, right? Yeah. Because there was the Vampire of Sacramento, and that case is uh,
1: brutal. Yeah, I didn't go into full detail on who Wayne Bowden was, but I'm sure there's a lot of fucked up detail there. The reason that there's confusion is because later Nick Mancuso, who plays Billy, has come out and said it was actually in reference to a 14-year-old boy who murdered a bunch of people from his family. It was like in Westmount, some neighborhood in Montreal. The film was originally released under the name Silent Night, Evil Night, but when it performed poorly, the name was changed back to Black Christmas. Before landing on Black Christmas, it was also named The Babysitter and Stop Me.
0: I like the title Black Christmas. They made a good choice. Also, Silent Night, Deadly Night came out 10 years later, and it would have sounded very similar.
1: I kind of like the name Stop Me.
0: I don't, because I feel like... Like, he doesn't want to be stopped, the killer.
1: But if we're thinking about this being he's got schizophrenia, maybe, he could genuinely want to be stopped. Mm. I don't want to do this, but I'm doing it. Stop me. That's real powerful, I think. But Black Christmas is still fun. Fair point. So the original script included more gruesome murder scenes, which were modified by Bob Clark, who thought they were too intense. He also changed the script to remove any intent to reveal who the killer was, which has upset some audiences to this day. However, Clark did reveal his backstory later saying, quote, Billy is abusive and abused his little sister and was abused himself and probably killed his parents and probably locked her up in a basement for five or six years. And I think she escaped and Billy doesn't like girls. And it turns out Agnes doesn't like boys.
0: Wow. That was a lot of information (laughs) you just gave me.
1: Yeah, it sounds like even he's not sure. He,
0: like, made it up on the fly. <laughs> yeah. We could talk about it more in the end, but I kind of like that the killer is left so ambiguous.
1: John Carpenter and Bob Clark worked on an unreleased project together, and having loved Black Christmas so much, Carpenter asked Clark if he would ever make a sequel. He responded that he wouldn't, but if he did, quote, it'll be he was captured after all. He was put in an institution, and the movie will begin the night he escapes. Back in town, mm. and they don't know it yet, and I'm going to call it Halloween. When they go and ask Bob Clark, like... Did you really did- say that? Yeah, he's like, John Carpenter, sure might have heard me say that but it's all like thanks to him he did everything i could have just said the idea but he wrote everything he directed it all it. like it's all him interesting don't thank me for it
0: yeah because i was going to point out that we get very similar to halloween those pov shots of the killer like this film it inspired all of that from yeah. then on yeah i think it's credited with being the first slasher or the mother of what will later become known as slashers
1: funny that it's a holiday movie right
0: yeah it's set on the most joyful holiday
1: you don't think that a Holiday horror is going to be like a pivotal point in the history of horror.
0: All we've done is holiday horror for like the last month and a half. So I don't even know what other horror there is anymore.
1: But that's all I got. I thought that was a cool one to add on. Yeah. You ready to take the shot because you're going to
0: lose. Oh, damn
1: it. Ready, set, go.
0: We open in a sorority house where they are having a Christmas party. Um, Jess gets home and she is receiving creepy calls from someone really weird, disturbing calls. We meet all the sorority sisters and they are leaving for holiday. So Claire is packing and leaving and she finds someone in her closet and she gets murdered. And this is kind of the catalyst for the entire movie. The girls don't know where she is. They're searching for her. They um, get her Claire's father gets involved. They get in contact with the police. The police is kind of shit, but then also kind of helpful when the l- lieutenant comes into play. Um, Jess is also going through like a personal issue where she's pregnant and her boyfriend sucks. And the whole suspicion is that her boyfriend might be the caller that is constantly killing off the sorority sorority girls one by one by one. We find out that the killer is in the house after the police have tapped the phone lines. And all the girls are dead except for Jess. And Jess finds Peter in the house and fights Peter off, thinking he is the killer. Uh, They leave her in the house alone for some reason. And we find out that the killer has not been found.
1: (laughs) You had two seconds left. (laughs) (laughs) But I did it. I wanted to try the (laughs) sherry. (laughs) <laughs> good job, though.
0: I think we should still try it. I won't take it as a shot, but I will definitely sip it because I want to see what it tastes like on its own.
1: Yeah, same here. I'm not ready. Yes, you are, Sherry. I could see why this would be in like a whiskey-shaped bottle. It has inklings of wanting to be vodka.
0: It's a lot of flavors.
1: It's like vodka wine.
0: It's not as harsh as liquor, but is stronger than wine. Since we got the extra dry, it's not as sweet as like I've heard it is. Would you buy it again? I mean, it's good in the punch.
1: But is it good on its own?
0: I think it's just a mixing thing. I wouldn't <laughs> sling it back like Mrs. Mac does. <laughs> just for fun.
1: Why'd that girl have so many bottles everywhere?
0: We're naming this one Mrs. Max Toilet Punch for obvious reasons.
1: Ready? For an overview, which yeah. I didn't look up. It's lacking. Block Christmas. Navidad Negra. Mm.
0: That
1: sounds racist. It does. IMDB says, during their Christmas break, a group of sorority girls are stalked by a stranger. <laughs> Great.
0: Again, I just get the ones that want to use every word they've ever heard, ever.
1: And not say the point. And not
0: say the point of
1: movie. This just makes it sound like they're vacationing and, and some someone's stalking. just following them around. Yeah. yeah.
0: Do we have a rating? It's so a 7.2. Pretty high. Yeah, it is
1: pretty high. But given its history and what it's inspired, I think that moves the needle a little bit. I'm ready for this. I love this movie. I think I watched it for the first time last year. We you showed it to me. Oh, it was your first time
0: too? It had come highly recommended from my brother. Gotcha. We opened a beautiful, beautiful sorority house.
1: Lit up. Decorated. That house apparently is actually in Montreal and you can go visit it. It's now known as the Black Christmas House.
0: Oh, that's fun. Let's go.
1: It's been redecorated though and modified for upkeep because 1974 is what, 50 years ago? Jesus. It's been repaired a little bit.
0: But we. Have an outside view of the home as Jess arrives to a Christmas party that her sorority sisters are throwing. However, we do not follow her into the home. Instead, we get a POV shot of the killer watching the girls through the window and surveilling the house. But we watch as he climbs the terrace and gets into the attic of the home, which is very eerie. It's all covered in spider webs and they have very creepy artifacts in there.
1: Well, if the sorority is old enough, I'm assuming that years and years of partying at the Random house- parties has brought them a lot of random shit. If you pay attention to everything in the house, it's a lot of weird shit. I'm like, why don't they throw this away? There's a lot of bird cages. Did you notice
0: that? Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of weird decor.
1: At the same time that this is happening, we're also getting introduced to a couple of the girls. Barb, who seems to be the Resident party girl. girl? Yeah, they don't really mind her too much attention, even though you should. I think if I saw that somebody in my fraternity was always drinking, I'd be like, bro, you okay? They kind of show some concern at the end, but...
0: Yeah, they don't really bring it up a lot. She does some concerning things that we'll talk about,
1: though. She's on the with her mom. It sounds like Barb wants to go over but then she's like nah we're gonna go skiing on some mountain and Barb's upset. I thought she had invited her. I thought she was like don't come for Christmas but then she's going around asking the girls if they want to come with and she seems mad about
0: it. I'm unclear of the situation between the two. I wasn't sure if maybe she was planning to just go home and have a Christmas with her mother and now her mother is saying that she's taking her boyfriend and going skiing so oh, and that's Barb has to now invite all her friends or the mom wants to stay there with her boyfriend and now she's just sending Barb off on her own to go skiing. Either way, I think this is put there so you know why she's like drinking heavily during the holidays. She could be upset about her family situation, which is what I like about this movie, how it gives you character development for each of these girls. It's little snippets. Yeah. Little clues as to who they are. Did you notice
1: that her wreath on her room
0: has shooters? Yes, I thought that was so funny, especially with Miss Mack going around sneaking booze. You could literally just pluck one off that
1: wreath. Yeah. We need to up our decorating game because we don't have real shooters honor tree we have like the little fake ones that you can get from target but no real shooters i'm afraid elvira
0: will drink them out knock (laughs) them off and then drink them the party is still kind of going on we get introduced to phyllis they call her phil we get introduced to claire and her boyfriend chris
1: just gets a call and it's they call him the moaner everyone does a group listen to this guy's call where he just keeps moaning random things he's saying a lot of gibberish i don't know if we can say this the c word over and over making a lot of grotesque sounds
0: a lot of obscene things that he says and. I'm surprised that that is in a movie from the 70s but he keeps this going on for a while and the girls are just listening until Barb has had enough and basically tells him all and tells him to get off the
1: phone. He tells him to go to Lambda Chi he tells her that he's gonna kill her.
0: And it's a very sombering moment because it seems like up until that point the caller had just been a pervert but not threatened them.
1: The girls are really disturbed you can see it on their faces and Claire, when she shows that she's real uncomfortable Barb starts to make fun of her and she's like I've seen this a ton of times in the city like this is the middle of nowhere. Nobody's going to do anything out here. And she's really inconsiderate about how Claire feels because she's not okay.
0: She storms off upstairs upset, but just tries to comfort her. When that doesn't work, just confronts Barb saying why she has to act like that when Claire's already had a hard time kind of fitting in.
1: Oh, I didn't catch the fitting in part. So is Claire like a neo?
0: (laughs) Barb calls her the professional virgin, which is funny because I think she's dating that guy Chris. So it just seems like there's... So
1: obviously she's been digged (laughs) in for that reason.
0: (laughs) Well, it's very strange to watch this movie thinking the stereotypes of a sorority that we know now. Actually, for all these women to be in college in the 70s, it's weird to me because I have this image. Granted, again, I come from immigrant parents that didn't go to college. Like, college was not a thing until we went to college. That sounds funny. I know college existed before we went to college, <laughs> but, like, family-wise and generationally-wise. Obviously, there's people whose families have all gone to college beforehand. I'm just saying, to me, this is interesting. It's progressive, to me. Yeah. <laughs> but that could just go to show you our culture.
1: Yeah, they also seem really intelligent. It seems like Bob Clark wanted to add a maturity to this sorority by making the actresses admit the feeling that these girls know what they're doing. They're smart. They just got some bad luck with this dude who who chose her house. Miss Max shows up with presents. Miss Max seems to be the house mother. I don't know anything about how that works, but I would assume this is kind of like a big brother or alumni, maybe.
0: I wondered that too. I wondered if this was like a thing back then because you can't leave all these young women alone unsupervised.
1: Claire goes to pack. She sees Claude, the cat, in her room, but we see there's a figure the same figure from earlier lurking in the closet, and he's breathing real heavy. So it doesn't take Claire long to realize that there's someone in the closet because Claude is also meowing. I told you that we would probably be able to trust Alvirra more than Loki when someone was intruding because she's real vocal. And I think if someone broke in, she'd be like. Wah,
0: wah. <laughs> <laughs> She'd bark more than Loki.
1: Yeah, Loki would just get happy. But there's a guy in her closet. As she approaches, what do you call that?
0: When you get your dry cleaning bags, ha- they give it to you. in. And-
1: it's hanging from the closet. And as she approaches, the guy just lunges himself at her and covers her face with the bag. Cool effect in the background. Apparently, the cameraman built some contraption to be able to carry the camera and do the acting of Billy. So although Nick Mancuso voiced Billy, the cameraman did a lot of the scenes where you can see either his figure or his hands that was pretty cool yeah, he did all the clever. pov climbing and all that stuff too the cameraman is unaccredited as the killer but we continue downstairs where miss mac goes around talking to the girls and the girls are giving her a present she's like it's not even nighttime because they're trying to give her some pajamas to put on they're ugly candy canes old on lady and stuff.
0: pajamas yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: she's like it's not even nighttime yet what if i still want to go out miss mac is fun
0: she's hilarious i love her so sad that she dies yeah
1: because of all the commotion that's downstairs they don't hear anything that's happening upstairs and the guy has time to carry claire up to the attic and locks himself up
0: so i think what makes this film successful and what I find very unnerving is this killer is freely walking around this house and they are unaware and for days he is doing this and spying on them and they just don't know and again it's that notion like in The Strangers of real life scary because this film isn't overly gory or full of jump scares. The parts that make you uncomfortable is knowing that he's in the house and they are not aware of him.
1: There's also an added effect to things like this I think happen in sororities and fraternities a lot because the houses are so Big, and because so many people are going in, and, in out, and out you don't know who the hell's in your house no you don't know who you're inviting over like who the fuck are these people why do we trust them i know we're here to party and shit but like
0: but also we're gonna get murdered
1: we're gonna get murdered yeah it might just be that we're just too suspicious of
0: we need to chill maybe
1: yeah anyway if you're not suspecting that everyone's gonna murder you you probably should start
0: <laughs> you're probably murdering people
1: <laughs> <laughs> we find out that Ms. mac as inspiration for this drink has a bottle hidden inside of a book that's in one of the rooms that she's changing in
0: yeah i believe it's one of the like library library. library areas of the sorority house because she goes up to it and she's like B for booze pulls it out and she has cut out a very specific shaped bottle and this is her drink of choice this is all she has stashed all over the place i wonder why
1: she feels the need to hide it is it because she's maybe the assigned school person possibly barbara's walking around drinking freely like nobody's business right i don't think anybody would really judge miss mac but maybe she's worried that someone outside will walk into the house randomly and see her her. (laughs)
0: yeah it's not like she's underage. I don't know why she just doesn't also keep it in her purse or something. Why it's got to be this crucial that there's little hiding.
1: Miss Mac, do your thing.
0: I would argue not because she (laughs) seems to be like a functioning alcoholic, which uh, is not good. Okay, not that part.
1: (laughs) But Peter calls Jess and Jess immediately seems to be affected by this call. Peter's like hey, I haven't seen you for days, but I have to go. I have to go. I'm practicing for a recital. Jess is like, I need to talk to you. And he's like, no, I'm busy. She's like, but I really need to talk to you like today. He's like, why you got to talk to me today? Like, no, it can wait.
0: Tell me. Tell me over the phone.
1: They plan on meeting the next day.
0: And you don't know if she's just uneasy in general because of the moaner calling or because of this conflict with Peter, but she definitely has the bad luck of always being the one to answer the phone. (laughs) And now as everyone in the sorority seems to be getting ready for bed, we get another scene of Miss mac having stashed a bottle in the tank of a toilet while she's brushing her teeth because she needs to rinse out with some sherry obviously
1: well does that work don't they say that you can clean things with alcohol i don't know if it works with teeth though
0: i know that in the past when you had a toothache people would put alcohol on it like i had a tooth issue like a couple weeks ago and i literally syringed whiskey (laughs) into it because it's supposed to help with the pain
1: because you're drunk and you can't feel it anymore
0: (laughs) 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 If it works, it works, you know? But Miss Mac has told Jess to check on Claire.
1: As this is happening, we get a shot of Claire under the bag, in a rocking chair, moving back and forth, with a face of shock.
0: In the attic.
1: The stranger, Billy, is singing a song about Daddy's Gone hunting. It's weird. It's unsettling.
0: It's eerie, and I suppose it's there to make the audience feel uncomfortable. Side note, this is our third movie with a Billy in a row. Oh
1: my god, I know. This shouldn't be happy holidays. It should be happy Billy days. Is
0: there a Billy in Krampus? I don't remember. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. We're going to be four for four. But cut to a scene of the next day. We see who we find out to be Claire's father has arrived to pick her up for their family vacation. He questions a bus driver, asking if he knows where his daughter Claire would be, saying that she is part of a sorority. The bus driver happens to be part of the brother fraternity, saying that Claire is in... Kappa Sig.
1: This bus driver is also dropping off the kids because the girls are at this event with the kids. Phil's boyfriend is dressed up as Santa. So no one's at the house except for Mrs. Mack, who stayed behind. The bus driver tells Mr. Harrison, you know, they might be at that event, but maybe you can find her at the house because if she was getting ready, obviously she didn't go to the event. She'd still be there.
0: The next scene we got is Miss Mac answering Mr. Harrison's questions as to where his daughter might be. She informs him that she has packed and no one has seen her all morning. As this is going on, Mr. Harrison is looking around the sorority house, incredibly disappointed. There's a picture on the wall, like a human
1: art piece. It's a peace sign, but there's a couple in the middle having sex.
0: And their body makes up the peace (laughs) sign.
1: There's also, what the fuck even was that? It was like a grandma with different emotions, and the last one's for sticking a middle finger out.
0: Yeah, which is not that bad, and he is already offended by that one. He didn't
1: even see the sex one. Yes. Yeah, he's like, what, grandmas sticking up their middle fingers?
0: He tells Miss Mac, I did not send my daughter to this college to be drinking and having sex with men,
1: (laughs) basically. Mrs. Mag is funny, though, because the entire time she doesn't give a shit about what Mr. Harrison is saying. She's just trying to hide the sex peace sign.
0: Yeah, with her hand. She puts <laughs> her hand on the butt cheek of the poster. She informs him that the girls might all be over at the event they are putting together, it seems, for charity.
1: While she's getting ready, she starts monologuing how pissed she is at Mr. Harrison. She's like, I don't dictate what they do. Like, it's not my job. My job is just to be I am not responsible
0: here. for all the morals of every woman that comes in this house.
1: She says they would hump the Tower of Pisa if they could... <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I think Mr. Harrison is very unrealistic in thinking that his daughter is in a sorority and not...
1: Judgy. Judgy. Not
0: living her best life, okay? Mm, judging. <laughs> I don't know. I imagine if you have a sheltered life and then you go to college and join a sorority... That's true. You're going to have some fun. <laughs> you better.
1: Fucking better. Because BB couldn't. She's mad she didn't join a sorority.
0: I'm not social enough to join a sorority. I knew some unsocial
1: sorority people and fraternity people. They're living their best lives now.
0: Mm, good for them. Or, or not. I
1: don't know. Miss Mac, as she's getting ready, though, here's Claude. She starts yelling out for Claude and is like, where are you, you prick? And Mr. Harrison, again, judgy, is just staring at her. I don't think that I would give a fuck if someone's dad was walking around unimpressed with my house. I, like, you're, dude, you're here for your daughter. I ain't got nothing to do with that. You don't have to judge me.
0: I think she does have something to do with that, though, because she's responsible for these girls as part of her job. But is she? She literally
1: just said she's not.
0: Not for their morals.
1: She's there to help them take her to the house and put them on the right path. But she's not there to watch them and tell them not to drink. And Live not, their best lives. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I want to talk about this shot because it's incredibly creepy. As Mrs. Mack and Claire's father are leaving, we see the scene through the attic window where Claire's body is still there in the rocking chair, almost watching her father drive off with Mrs. Mack. It's very eerie, and it's just kind of unsettling that he doesn't know that his daughter is literally dead upstairs in the attic. This is a shot that kind of frames a lot of scenes in the film.
1: The reason that I think that this doesn't work is because it's very visible from outside. Like. Claire's head from the window. They literally zoom out with the camera.
0: And then it's covered by like the bare trees and all the Christmas decorations. Also, if you would see that, you're seeing it from the ground level. What's to stop you from thinking it's just someone in their window or it's a Christmas decoration? You can't see the plastic bag from down there.
1: If you're looking for somebody, you're going to take every lead you get, whether it ends up getting you nowhere or not, right? Well, that's
0: what bothers me at the end of this film. (laughs) I agree with you on that point.
1: Yeah, because I'm like, if I'm panning away and we're looking for somebody and I see there's a head in the window, I'm going to be like, yo, what is that? and ask somebody and then they'd be like oh I don't know that's not anything that we have let's go check it out oh know. shit it's a dead body
0: I think you're putting a lot of faith in them knowing what they have in their attic I don't think they do
1: they also don't know how to keep track of their own people Right. point is it is creepy though it's almost like Billy is painting her to be a mother figure
0: yeah because there's a scene that comes later on that I guess kind of gives a clue to the mental state that Billy is in
1: right after this Jess meets with Peter at his recital class conservatory conservatory yeah.
0: is that what it was
1: yes Johnny was in the conservatory so Johnny also did this johnny also got someone <laughs> pregnant and also left no but jess meets with peter at the conservatory in preparation for tonight peter is stressed but jess is like hey i wanted to talk to you because i'm pregnant and i want to get an abortion peter says fuck you no you don't you selfish bitch and she's like i do what i want and he's like no you don't you do what i want and she's like no fuck you i do what i want <laughs> <laughs> but I thought this was pretty progressive for the 70s. I mean, 70s being like a peace, and love, fuck war Actually, time, the world was still not as progressive as it could be. When
0: did Roe v. Wade happen? Well, yes, Roe I mean, v. The, the, Wade was American and this is Canada.
1: It's real progressive, I think, for the 70s to have this sort of opinion or I guess presentation on the topic of abortion. Jess can be like, I'm the one who decides what happens to this baby. You have no say. And it seems to be like the ongoing conversation even today.
0: Yeah. I do want to touch on this a little more because Eric kind of summed it up to be funny, but it's not funny. It's a tense scene. It is. (laughs) This film came out in 1974. This is only one year after Roe v. Wade had come out and made abortion legal for all. So I imagine this was probably more controversial than the murders taking place on screen. Peter is an absolute horrible human being because he calls her selfish and then in the same breath says why would she bring this up now when she knows how important this afternoon is to him.
1: He's like a kid.
0: He's incredibly narcissistic and manipulative and I completely understand why she would not want to have a child that ties her to him for the rest of her life.
1: Now, a scene like this also makes you as the viewer realize that possibly Peter is what's happening at the house.
0: And yes, that is exactly what you're supposed to believe.
1: He tells her to leave and says, we'll talk tonight. Sounds like a fucking threat, Peter.
0: I No, his threats come later. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Fuck yeah. that guy. Anyway, you'll change your mind. Oh, I wrote down a threat. See? A threat! A fucking threat! Because he's, yeah, how the hell are you gonna have this, like, real aggressive-ass conversation and then he's like, let's talk tonight. You're gonna change your fucking mind. Just you wait. Is that a threat, Peter? I hope your recital sucks. Which is what happens. But, Mr. Harrison is at the event and finds out that Claire's not there. Barb in the background, while Mr. Harrison is calling the cops, is literally handing a child alcohol?
0: Champagne. Yeah,
1: <laughs> which is not okay. We do not condone child drinking. Just FYI, in case that wasn't clear.
0: Yeah, and then she says that the child is probably already drunk. <laughs> Barb, you got some shit to figure out. Also, I think Barb is Lois Lane, isn't she?
1: She looked familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I think so
0: years later, right? Yeah. So Jess is back at the sorority house just in time to answer another call. This time, the caller keeps saying the name Billy over and over again. Your mother wants to know what you did with the baby. And this, of course, freaks Jess out because we as the audience have just found out that Jess is pregnant.
1: This time, the voice is not only a man's voice making weird guttural noises and snorting, but also there's inklings of a female voice. So Billy, the killer, Can change his voice. He's got multiple personalities between Billy and Agnes. Nothing that makes sense to her, but we started thinking, oh, it's Peter. Peter's fucking with Jess.
0: As far as the audience knows, he's the only other person that knows she's pregnant.
1: And he's on the way to being unhinged. Convinced that Claire's missing, the girls and Mr. Harrison go to the cops. I think the cop's name is Nash. He's like, eh, it's not a surprise that a sorority girl who goes missing for a weekend is probably with her boyfriend up in a cabin or something. And Mr. Harrison's like, uh, no, she ain't.
0: (laughs) He's like, no, that does not make me feel better.
1: Nash the cop asks Barb what's the number to the house and she's like fellatio fellatio and she's like yeah it's a new distribution number FE and he's like oh, oh okay so this guy's clueless that means what it means in case you don't know <laughs> I won't explain but look it up he writes it down is convinced that this is the real number but well she
0: doesn't just say fellatio it's like fellatio 56 something
1: Jess goes to Chris's hockey practice and asks him if he's seen Claire he's like what did the cops say she's like well they think that maybe she's hooking up with somebody somewhere else and he's like no and I am the
0: boyfriend <laughs>
1: yeah so he goes with her to the cops
0: then we cut to a scene of peter epically failing his piano recital nope. he's sitting in front of three judges and it seems like he is royally messing up it does not sound pleasant i am not a classical music expert but i don't know if the song is meant to sound like this this guy kind of looks like miguel Bosé, right i knew you were gonna say that because you say that about every skinny white man in the 70s with, long with hair blonde hair. hair
1: the bob cut so anyway his playing sounds like shit he looks like shit he looks he like he sweating. might shit himself <laughs> Playing the piano so hard, you shit yourself. I mean... I've seen that. Obviously, Peter did not do well. You can see it on the faces of the judges. The judges are like... They feel
0: uncomfortable just being there.
1: (laughs) Have you ever played an instrument so bad that people wish they weren't
0: there? Probably. Yeah, I played in band in grammar school. All those sound awful when you look back at those recital videos. (laughs) I'm sure you did fine, honey. Collectively. Kids should not play instruments.
1: Collectively, we all suck. <laughs> no, yeah,
0: it's bad. <laughs>
1: Meanwhile, this mother's at the cops, and she says that she's lost her 13-year-old daughter, Janice. The cop who we see she's been telling this to is Lieutenant Ken, but he's also the father from Nightmare on Elm Street.
0: What's Nancy's slash last name? slash Zac Efron? Huh? What's Nancy's last name? Because he's also lieutenant there. Point is, this is what I choose to believe is Nancy's father. This is just like the early years of him being a lieutenant.
1: What you're saying is that Black Christmas is a prequel to both Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween.
0: It could be. Because later on Barb has a dream about a man in her room and it turns out to be true. So they're in the same universe.
1: Damn, we need a Halloween Nightmare on Elm Street crossover where they bring back Black Christmas and Billy.
0: You said Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street. You didn't mean Black Christmas and Nightmare on Elm Street? No. Okay.
1: Because it's going to be the sequel to Black Christmas.
0: Because the cleaning lady comes on one day. (laughs)
1: Yes. But Chris and Jess show up and it seems like they know Ken. I don't know if he's related to Chris or something like that because he knows all the cops by first name.
0: It seems like they know Chris and his brothers potentially on the force or was
1: really going in on Nash calling Nash the biggest dumbass on the planet earth obviously with reason because he said Claire's off with some boyfriend and didn't take her missing seriously yes
0: and I think this is something that is unfortunately very common when someone's reported missing it's not taken serious until it's like hours days too late we just see this trope with cops in horror movies
1: we watched wrecking city and it isn't until there's literally a blown up zombie truck at the doorstep of the cop station when they're like oh fuck it's real the gremlin I mean, name a movie,
0: and the cops show up way too late.
1: Yeah, or they don't believe it,
0: or they're way too intense and way too well trained, like the
1: vegan police. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm thinking more like Die Hard. Isn't he a cop? Yeah, and he's he is. insane. He's intense. But Chris coming in and yelling at Ken is kind of what gets this investigation going. I felt kind of bad because he just left the mother there while she was making a report. But we later find out they are treating these cases almost as if they're related and potentially the same killer.
1: I think this is also one of the first few films out of the 44 movies that we've watched. Other than Saw, where the cop is fucking ridiculous, that the cops actually have like a plan that makes sense. They send out a search party. They get people together. They tap the phones. They're doing what they should. I they're doing their job. Like this. Yeah,
0: Yeah, Lieutenant Ken is definitely the lieutenant for a reason and Sergeant Nash is at the front desk for a reason and he's still messing it up.
1: Right. They decide we'll look into it further. Back at the house, Mr. Harrison and Mrs. Mack, while they were preparing to see what happens with the cops, this scene just exists to show how unhinged Barb is. Barb feels that because Claire is missing, they blame her for having gone off on her the night before she went missing for feeling scared, for feeling uncomfortable with the call.
0: She's very much trying to like, deflect with humor. She's talking about animals fucking for some reason, but then leads into how people are looking at her strange and how she feels partially responsible. I don't think it's so much that people are blaming her. She herself feels responsible for what's going on. But Miss Mac and Phil yell at her to go to sleep because she's just way too drunk and making a fool of herself, which she does. Peter
1: plummets piano while pissed with Paul. That's it. That's <laughs> the whole movie. I was pissed. Pianos cost a lot of fucking money, bro. I was
0: confused. Isn't this the school's property, not his?
1: Yeah, Peter's a piece of shit. He needs to take his ass home. He's drunk, so he destroys the piano with one of the music stands, and really goes in on it.
0: And this scene only exists to show you that Peter is becoming unhinged after mm-hmm. having failed his recital, something that he has prepared years for.
1: So he sucks, and this is his whole life's work. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I've done things all my life and still sucked at them, so that's fine. Just don't go destroying property and telling your girlfriend that she can't do what she wants. Yeah. Everyone gets together. Fair to- minimum
0: too. <laughs> just, just don't.
1: So everyone gets together to do a search. The cops have gotten everyone in the neighborhood. They're at the park. They've got dogs. They've got this plan. They're like, there's a dude on the snow mobile, but they're like, don't go too hard because the gas is going to throw off the smell for the ducks. I like, think really in really into the details with this search. Just to imply that the neighborhood is up in arms. We're going to find either the body or the killer. Some clues. Something. Yeah. Or, yeah, I guess they don't really assume there's a
0: killer yet. I don't think you would assume you'd find a body yet. The girl went missing. There's a good chance that she for got sure lost. You. She's freezing. The search was organized for clues, wasn't it? I don't think they thought they were going to find her body just so out in the open where probably someone would have already seen it by now. No reported it.
1: I'm asking you because I thought that was a rule. Most manhunts aren't successful if they're not found within the first
0: 48 hours. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there is a rule.
1: Mrs. Max stays behind at the house and you can also see that the figure is also standing by a tree and you don't see who it is, but it's like a shadowy figure who sits down and it stares. I would argue
0: that at this point this is Peter waiting for Jess to come home because they had agreed to meet at this time and that's why he is later in the house napping because they do kind of show his hair and stuff. It looks like Peter. This is also in here so you suspect Peter as the killer later on. It- Miss Max. has stayed behind packing and you can't do some packing without drinking and singing as you do we
1: also get a shot of claude licking claire's body which is cute it's
0: unsettling yeah
1: Anyway. (laughs) I don't know if we've brought this up in the past, but I think they say that your pet's likely to start eating your body if they don't find your dead body after a few days. Listen, Claude's
0: the only one doing some real investigation because no one else has found this body at this point.
1: Yeah. How did Claude get in the attic? And Miss Mac also asked this question. It's like, why would you even be up here, Claude?
0: Because he smelled the body. Hearing Claude in the attic, she goes to investigate. She's making her way up into the attic and gets kind of caught in the entrance of the door. As a viewer, we see someone standing behind her, who we know to be the killer, holding a hook. In a hand ready to strike her. He gives her enough time to see Claire's body sitting in the window before he lets go of the hook. And we assume because we don't really see this scene. A lot of these kills are off screen actually. She's been hit by the hook through the neck and is murdered.
1: She gets shook so hard her shoe comes off. The rope is so strong it pulls her body up though.
0: Yeah. He like reels her in like a fish.
1: I think Miss Mac could have survived had she taken a hint at her own logic. Claude shouldn't be up here. Well then why continue? Or if you're suspicious that there's some noise upstairs. But she could up there. Yeah, I know, but I'm just thinking that, like, logically. Like, last night we heard a noise, a thump inside the house. Like, had there been more noise, I'd be like, mm, probably should call the cops. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think you'd be a little more suspicious given that there's a manhunt. Possibly someone going around, like, taking people. I mean, maybe because it's I don't Christmas. disagree
0: with you, but I would totally do what she did. And just go up looking for my cat and not think that anyone was in the house. But
1: she asks the question herself. She's like, what would you even be doing up here? It's like, He's you're right, dead Matt. bodies. Just... <laughs> But she doesn't know that. Go back. Get your ass out of there. Forget about Claude. He's a prick anyway. You've said it already. Mrs. Mac was cool. She shouldn't have died. She didn't deserve it. She does better. After he does this, there's a taxi driver outside of the door who I'm assuming is there to pick up Mrs. Mac. When he continues to knock, he gets pissed, gets in his car. Billy, for some reason, is rocking Claire's body back and forth, screams, groans.
0: I think he didn't intend to kill Mrs. Mac or Mrs. Mac doesn't fill his fantasy of who he's supposed to kill. So he's kind of like freaking out in rage. Like, someone has discovered his little secret, and that was not his intention.
1: With that in mind, why would he go kill Barb? Because
0: Barb fits the fantasy of who he wants to kill. Women? Yeah, Miss Mac. She stumbled upon the scene. He didn't hunt her down.
1: Claire can be seen from the window as we get a pan-out shot of the house.
0: We cut back to the search party, just as cold and decides to go back to the sorority house, remembering that she has plans with Peter. But a woman has apparently discovered the body of Janice, because she is now screaming while the rest of the search party approaches. Mr. Harrison rushes there, apprehensive that he is about to find Claire. We notice that he is kind of relieved but still appalled at what he sees. Unfortunately, the mother of Janice is right behind him and she is horrified. Her screams are drowned out by the ring of a telephone, where we are now back at the sorority house with Jess.
1: And you continue to hear more voices of Billy's, a female voice who you see as Agnes, and then also a child saying, help me, stop me, yelling gibberish. Uh, Another note on the voice acting, Bob Clark also did some of the voicing. Nick Mancuso was the main Billy, but Bob Clark and some of the actresses also helped with doing the voices. Apparently Nick Mancuso, in order to add a guttural effect to his voice, said that he did some voice recording while upside down. Mm,
0: Well, that's a commitment to the job. Jess. Finally had enough and decides to call the police about it. As she's making the phone call, Peter walks in behind her. But we don't know it's Peter at first. We get that POV shot of the killer again until we focus on Jess and realize that it's him standing behind her. He's trying to have a conversation with her. As a viewer, we're already suspicious that Peter is even in the house to begin with. He is trying to get Jess's attention and kind of doesn't care that she's clearly in distress and trying to call the police. Sergeant Nash is again very dismissive of her, takes down some notes, but lets her know that no one will probably get to it because they've just discovered the murdered body of Janice. Lucky for Jess and the rest of the sorority, Mr. Harrison and Phil are there at the police station and hear this call being reported. They obviously know that the two are connected, so they further escalate this to Lieutenant Ken. Meanwhile, Peter, here only to talk about his problems and his needs, (laughs) talks about how he's sick of living at the conservatory, says he's quitting and they're getting married. He doesn't ask her. tells her they're getting married
1: and just answers in a reasonable way for someone who's in college remember when you grew up and you said that you dreamed of doing this thing
0: that mm-hmm. now you have fucked up yeah, yeah. seriously okay because <laughs> that's what bothers me so much about this because she says remember when we first met and you told me that being a penis was your dream do you remember the things that i had told you i wanted to do no what you have hopes and dreams? What? You're already pregnant. What more do you want? <laughs> She's like, I still want to do those things. And my plans haven't changed just because yours has. And truly, he is only excited about this child because he has. Failed at being a pianist.
1: He has nothing else to look forward to. So he says, fuck it. Let's just uh, do this thing. That's how you end up divorced.
0: Yeah, that's how you end (laughs) up in a troubled family. Just straight up tells him that she just doesn't want to marry him because he's trying to sell her on the we'll be married and you can do whatever you want. You could still do those things. And she says she just doesn't want to marry him.
1: Even if she did want to marry him, because of the way he's been acting, I don't see why she would continue to
0: want to. Even date him after this. This quickly angers him and he insults her saying how is she just going to remove the baby talking about it like she's removing a wart? She's
1: like, be realistic. This isn't going to work.
0: To the point where he threatens her saying that she will not have an abortion and get away with this. And he is then asked to leave by her, which I think is a smart call because he's about to throw hands.
1: Honestly, Jessica kick his ass because he can't even play piano with his hands. So uh, that's what happens th- them later. hands ain't catching nothing. <laughs> <laughs> ain't catching scholarships. <laughs> ain't catching <laughs> careers. Ain't catching nobody's attention. <laughs> And catching
0: babies. Mm, Dark. As he is storming out lieutenant ken mr harrison and phil are entering the home and bill the phone tap guy phone tap guy
1: but they show up and this whole scene is really long like as many questions as ken is asking you would think they'd be like is this the only phone you got okay cool we're gonna go around the house got the place you have an attic you have a basement they don't do any of this they just like stay on the first floor and like who else is in the house and they take the girl's word for it but honestly you're gonna go look wherever it's possible that someone's hiding right
0: again you're coming from the place of knowing that the killer is inside the house i'm just saying you gotta be suspicious especially
1: Especially after Jess literally just saw that Peter was in the house and had no idea.
0: There is clearly no logic to these people.
1: You'd be like, yo, Peter was hiding in the house. I didn't even fucking know it. Let's go find out where he could have stayed. There's a basement. There's an attic. There's a closet. There's a, I don't know. But cops are here. Let's make use of them and have them go look. I'm just saying. Okay. Okay. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. Well, because you're
0: coming from the point of knowing the end. (laughs) No,
1: it's not why. I'd genuinely be suspicious of everything. Okay. I literally walked through the house last night kicking doors down because I was like, they could be in the closet. They could be in the patio. They could be in the bathroom. They could be in the blah. I looked everywhere. I looked on the tables. I did. I looked in the crate. Lucky was there. (laughs) It was him.
0: <laughs> well, we came to the conclusion that it was probably Elvira throwing herself at the doors. Because she's insane. Because she has learned how to open doors.
1: Oh my God. She
0: does <laughs> running insane. jumps to
1: open our bedroom door. She goes from the living room all the way to the back room where our bedroom is and opens the door by throwing herself at it to get in.
0: And she's-, she's equally a crackhead as her brother. But also, I don't understand her fascination with getting into that room. It is the coldest room in the house.
1: You've found her in there, right? Yes. If I walk in there and she's just on the ground like not she's even doing She's just in there.
0: Like, she, this is just where <laughs> she wants to sit and you won't let her in there
1: she's not even like on the bed she's just nope. on the ground just there right by up. the door <laughs> i did it it was a lot of work i'm
0: tired now. <laughs> i can't explore anymore because i'm exhausted but after the police walk around the house question the girls and investigate claire's room they leave explaining how the wiretap is going to work when a call enters the house, a call will also be placed to the police station where they can then hear the conversation. Bill will then try to locate the call.
1: They do also tell them, you gotta keep the guy on the line long enough for us to find out what's happening. Bill literally has to run around this room going from terminal the to call. terminal to trace the call, yeah.
0: It sucks. They also inform the girls that there is a police stationed outside in case anything happens. As the cops are heading out, we get a scene of the killer playing with Claire's body. He has placed a doll in her hand and is making small voices and rocking her back and forth.
1: Continues the that daddy rabbit song it's
0: unsettling he treats her like a doll
1: the guy is in barb's room jess in the distance hears a loud gasping noise runs in sees that barb is having a panic attack she has asthma so she grabs her inhaler and reveals that she had a nightmare and imagined a guy in her room standing there in front of her and
0: this is the scene where the killer has gotten way too bold because he's literally just standing behind them watching this happen and they don't realize it yeah, I don't know. The house is like old enough that it would creak every time someone walks around. Yeah, after Jess helps Barb
1: out, she hears the carolers outside and watches the carolers sing this entire song. I've never lived in a neighborhood where people we, carol. I don't think we do this on the south side. I've never seen this be. A oh thing. no,
0: I feel like this is a very old timey tradition that we don't see anymore.
1: In the suburbs, maybe they still do this. I don't know. People with money do this. I don't know. Point is, it's rude to leave. So Jess watches the entire thing. To
0: the credit of the kids, they sound pretty good. They do.
1: I was thinking about how awkward this scene had to be. Jess is kind of just like grabbing her necklace and, like, staring.
0: Well, it's true. What do you do while you're watching them?
1: It's like when you get sung Happy Birthday.
0: Yeah, you just kind of <laughs> deal with it.
1: So she's watching, but upstairs, Billy goes back into Barb's room. Barb seems to also be rustling and having another nightmare because I'm assuming in her drunkenness thinks it's the dream again. He grabs what I thought was a trophy, but she has a lot of
0: glassware everywhere. She seems to have a lot of like porcelain glass figurines, which make the scene very beautiful. It's just an odd choice. I don't know if these were popular in the 70s. These two scenes are undercut with each other. So the caroling is going on while Barb is about to be murdered, kind of making it very artsy. This is the scene that reminds me a lot of Suspiria.
1: Gotcha, with the music and things like that, yeah. He grabs this glass unicorn head and to the theme of the music, turns it on its side, uses the unicorn horn to stab the shit out of Barb over and over while shards of these other glass figures are breaking.
0: It reminds me of Suspiria because one, the blood is extremely pigmented and bright red. And it is shot in a way where the main focus isn't anything that that's going on in the background it is solely black the glass figurines and barb's blood with only slight glimpses of the killer
1: in an abstract form through the warping of the glass it's very
0: interesting shot
1: but jess is like okay here's your tip a lady interrupts right as they're ending the song and says don't you know that there's a killer on the loose kids get back in the car the lady is like don't you hear your phone's ringing
0: as jess makes her way back into the house to answer lieutenant ken is also preparing to answer the call at the police station the killer is Essentially taunts Jess, mentioning bits of the conversation she had with Peter about removing a baby almost like it were a wart. However, she does not keep the killer on the phone long enough and Lieutenant Ken has to call her back, not only to let her know that, but to ask her why she got so shocked when the killer mentioned something about a baby. Obviously does not want to say anything, but Lieutenant Ken has a suspicion that this has something to do with the killer's true identity. But this also awakens suspicions in Jess about Pete being the killer. Phil has woken up and is asking what is going on in the house and she can't exactly sleep. She tells her that Barb had a nightmare and that the killer has called again, which then leads to the phone ringing one more time. As Jess answers it, she realizes it's Peter who has called her crying, telling her not to kill their baby and having just a very awkward conversation with her because they didn't have any luck tracing the first call. The lieutenant tells Bill to try practicing tracing this call. He hears the awkward conversation between the two of them and then calls Jess back, telling her once again she's gonna have to keep people on the phone longer if they're gonna be able to trace them. But then presses what the conversation was about, saying that it's probably important. And I argue that uh, that is awkward.
1: That you have to tell this cop I don't know or like I'm know, pregnant, planning on getting an
0: abortion. I'm and just planning a quick abortion, you know, no big deal.
1: He could be like some really religious cop and be like, fuck you, I'm not helping you
0: anymore. Exactly. Like just planned a well, this is Canada. We hope it's a little more progressive. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> Murderers also run free in Canada, so I don't know. Yeah. Phil earlier knowing about Peter was like, There's no way, like Peter's sweet. It couldn't be the killer. Jess is like, wait, no, Peter was in the house earlier when I had just gotten off the phone with the killer. It can't be Peter, and Jess feels like a sense of relief.
0: We get this funny scene of then Phil getting some water and being scared by people in the window. Turns out it's people from a search party that are going around and telling them to lock their doors and to call them for help if they see the killer. The girls laugh this off because it's funny how scared they got, but then have a serious moment of realizing that no other doors or windows are locked in the house. Do you realize that this is the only door and window that's locked? Whoa. Cut to them walking around the house, locking and closing all the windows.
1: Yeah. Phil, though, immediately gets murdered. She goes into Barb's room.
0: hears a strange noise.
1: The door moves a little bit and Phil turns around.
0: Gas in surprise, doesn't get to even yell. The killer then slowly closes the door behind her.
1: Phil's dead. Meanwhile, Jess goes around locking all the doors and windows. The phone rings. You hear more pig noises at the same time because Ken has asked, where could Peter be? She's like, the conservatory. Him and one of the other cops go to check the conservatory and they find the smashed piano. Him not being there there gives Ken more suspicion of Peter that he's unhinged.
0: And he might be the killer. It seems to be her that's always the one answering the calls. I don't know if it's because the killer knows she's pregnant and has like this issue with his sister or children keeps asking for the baby. If he seems to spare her because of this reason or he enjoys taunting her because he just quickly kills off everyone else
1: that's true he never reveals himself to jess maybe because he does say help me stop me to jess when jess answers the phone maybe he sees jess as like his Conscience, I don't know. He's, or a mother he's able figure. able to talk to her. Yeah.
0: Because she's pregnant. Interesting.
1: Ken hears the conversation though and Bill, who's at the terminal place, finds the terminal is actually for the house that's on 6 Belmont Avenue, I believe is what the street was. He tells Ken, Ken's like, no, no, that's, that's not right. You got the wrong thing, man. He's like, the calls are going out, but also coming in, which doesn't make sense, right?
0: I don't know. I don't remember how old phones work.
1: Well, we just talked about how when you are on a call, you can't receive another call because the line shows up as busy. You can't make a new call to yourself. Can you call yourself? Unless they have multiple phone numbers, but then that seems like... Multiple lines, right?
0: Redundant. You might want multiple lines if you're in a sorority house. Extensions. I don't know. I don't know how this works. I am not a gremlin. I am not a certified electrician.
1: Was there no caller ID? No. But was there Star 69?
0: I don't know. Is Star 69 still a thing? No. No? It's caller ID.
1: (laughs) oh that's true yeah i guess you do always see the number
0: you sound so disappointed by this
1: because people don't know what star 69 is
0: anymore it's okay
1: what was star 67 i don't remember there's a bunch of shit you know. it's
0: where you call and murder people oh
1: okay no that's 811 hell what was it called oh yeah that movie what, what's the movie is it 811 hell 1-800 hell that's not even a full number <laughs> oh maybe it is let's try it yes but ken's like nash nash you have one job you're gonna call jess you're gonna tell her to just nothing out. don't fuck this up Nash tries. Okay, Nash does does try. try. But Jess is like, I'm going to go wake up the girls. And Nash is like, no, don't do that. He's like, just leave the house. Don't ask questions. And she's like, why? He's like, don't ask questions. And she's like, I'm going to get the girls.
0: He's like, don't. You know what? the killer's in the house, and she
1: freaks the fuck out.
0: She does. I think at this point you should listen to the police working this case if they tell you just to leave the house.
1: You would worry, though. I think the morality in you is going to try to stay behind and get your friends or your family.
0: Which is what happens to Jess. She reaches for a fire poker and makes her way up the stairs. She's been calling for a Barb and Phil, but there is no answer from them. She keeps yelling, please answer, please answer. When she finally gets to Barb's room, she opens it to reveal both Barb and Phil, all bloodied and dead.
1: She hears the killer is behind the door because he's making weird noises. She sees the eye of the killer behind
0: the hinges of the door. Which and I would argue is effectively creepy. His eyes like got a red tint to it. Blood her. red eyes. Right. This was a good creepy shot, though. And one of those less is more situations.
1: Mm-hmm. Jess thinks quickly, pushes the shit out of the door, and really is pissed. He starts screaming and chases her down. On the stairs, he grabs her by the hair and pulls her back. She falls. She quickly thinks to go into the basement and closes the door. Billy continues to ramble gibberish and after a little bit stops, Jess thinks, coast is clear, but goes into the basement, doesn't unlock the door. Smart.
0: As she's making her way through the basement, we see the figure of a man through the windows. And at first it's not clear who it is, but he soon starts to call out to her saying, Jess, Jess, it's me, Peter. Are you in the basement? Let me in. And I would argue, yes, Peter is incredibly suspicious. How does he know that she is in the basement? how does he know it is her
1: why is he crashing through the window to get there to why
0: does he break the window down just rightfully so does not answer him and kind of hides further in the basement when he breaks his way in and walks towards her
1: slowly crouches over and he's like don't you hear me talking to you don't you hear me calling you why are you doing this why are you hiding
0: we cut away
1: we don't know what happens but i wish we did yeah,
0: it's one of those leave it to the audience moments that I have a lot of thoughts about. I mean, she fucks him up. <laughs> I mean, she does. But we cut to Lieutenant Ken arriving on the scene has no time to inspect the situation because he hears Jess's screams from inside. This is when we, the audience, finally see that Jess and Pete are on the floor. Pete completely covered in blood. Covered in mouth sauce. Yeah, it's pretty bright red. And Jess appears to also be killed, but when they call her name she seems to respond. We don't know what went down here
1: no she squeezed his insides out
0: i'm assuming she did some damage to his internal organs causing him to bleed like that. Hit him on the side of the head. I just wish I knew how she kicked his ass because he deserved it. Obviously, it was a struggle because she also kind of went down. But this is so odd to me. Obviously, I agree with her. I would have suspected him the entire time. But then he clearly wants her to have this baby. Part of me is surprised that he doesn't want to just take her and tie her to a bed until she has this baby. I don't think he would do her any harm because that could result in harm to the child.
1: But in a life or death situation, you can't be too short. Yeah,
0: I agree she did the right thing because at the end of the day she rid herself of someone terrible one way or another.
1: Not saying that it's okay to murder Do someone.
0: not murder anyone, okay? Yeah. But unfortunately, we find out she murdered the wrong guy.
1: You know what's weird is that this kerfuffle happened, but she's not visibly damaged in any kind of way. Like, he's bleeding like crazy and she just looks almost unbothered. Her hair's not even messed up. Like, it's, she she's looks She's a almost... woman. Even <laughs> if
0: you kill someone, you gotta look good doing it. Okay. I can't get blood on you. But just is taken upstairs and put in her bed... She's been doped up to kind of help with the trauma of everything that's happened. And around her, the police are kind of wrapping up the investigation. They have discovered the bodies of the other girls. However, they have not discovered the bodies of Miss Mac and Claire.
1: They're wrapping things up. You as the viewer are also hearing a lot of loose ends tied up. Mr. Harrison and Chris are in the room. Mr. Harrison, as they're starting to wrap up and they're like, okay, we clean up the bodies. What do we do? All right, we'll start working on the paperwork. Mr. Harrison passes out. I'm assuming because they say they didn't find Claire.
0: This is all just too much. You clearly don't think that something good is going to come out of this if they found two other sorority sisters dead. Yeah.
1: Mr. Harrison passes out. Chris, Ken, and the other cop go into action. and are like, oh, we need to take this guy to the hospital. They run out. The last Leaving
0: cop- her by herself.
1: Yes. Like, why isn't she also being taken into a hospital?
0: I thought it was an odd choice to even put her in a room. This is an active crime scene. Take her to the hospital. Get an ambulance. Yeah. Like, what's going
1: on here? Really suspicious. I even thought, like, you would leave a cop overnight in the room to keep out. Or multiple. Because obviously one, one cop of them before said, didn't I am work. I'm staying
0: the night. And then while Mr. Harrison passes out they forget and leave her there. Terrible cops.
1: Yeah well one does stay outside but you would still keep one inside the house. Obviously keeping a cop there to keep watch didn't work.
0: But again everyone just leaves her there. And as we continue to pan out throughout the rest of the house we see scenes of other empty rooms and we make our way back up into the attic where we see the bodies of Miss Mac and Claire again. Realizing that the cops have not discovered their bodies and that the killer is still in the attic with them. The last thing we hear as we zoom out of the window on Claire's face one last time is the phone ringing again and that's the final scene of the movie you zooming away from the house yeah
1: you see Claire's head from the third floor window
0: again you wouldn't see it from the street if we're investigating this fucking house, I mean I agree we're they need to go to check, check the everything. attic at this point <laughs> they need to check everything especially since they found Peter and her in the basement
1: where was he making these calls from oh the phone in the attic let's go check it out yeah how long has he been here did he also kill Janice did I'm he not also saying they did girl? a great
0: job okay but yeah that wraps up the movie what do you think of it
1: i like it still i like the surprise at the end that billy and peter are not the same person what do you think
0: yeah, I really like this movie. I would probably put it in my top five, honestly. I think it's effective in being scary without actually being over the top. You got to give it the credit for being one of the first slashers.
1: And it's not even that gruesome. Bob Clark brought that down. So I wonder how intense the kills were before.
0: I think it holds up over time, even oh, yeah. though it's set in the 70s. i give it an 8 out of 10.
1: I would give it a 9. I feel like with more intense kills, it would have been cooler. But the way that the movie currently exists is really good. I heard that the first remake dives deeper into like what Bob Clark described as the intentions behind Billy.
0: But I think part of what makes it so good is how little you know. Don't get me wrong, upon first watching this, I'm like, I want to know who this is and why he's doing what he's doing, but that's just not how things work sometimes, and that's what makes it scarier. I was thinking, like, what if Billy in the attic is Billy from Silent Night, Deadly Night?
1: (laughs) I mean, the movie was going to be called Silent Night, Evil Night, so... Mm, Is he dressed as Santa the entire time? Who knows? Maybe he was looking for the chimney and found the terrace instead. mm, Do not like the real kicker would have been had he been like punish (laughs) every
0: time he killed somebody badly what would you say scared loki
1: he does not like people singing apparently and i didn't know this because i sing all the time and he doesn't this is not to give myself props but doesn't really mind when i sing every time that we watch something and people are singing he's like
0: starts growling because he thinks it's strangers
1: he just does not like people having fun because he also does it when kids laugh in movies the only person who should be laughing is me
0: (laughs) (laughs) but do you want to tell us about it loki I am sorry that people sing. What we'll do is take him caroling
1: with us. Since we live in the suburbs, we can find out if no. it's a thing.
0: Or he also just hates Christmas music like I do. The
1: disrespect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but is that pretty much it for us here?
1: Yeah. Go watch Black Christmas. Try um, Mrs. Max. Toilet Punch. It's really good. As
0: always, we hope you guys had a good time here with us. You can follow us pretty much anywhere at Shaken Not Scared Pod except Twitter. Twitter is Shaken Scared Pod. You could send us an email at shakin'notscaredpod at gmail.com.
1: Support the show on Patreon. You can get early access. Next episodes or a bonus episode and theme drink idea every month. Listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts, give us a follow, check out our drink videos. Be sure to
0: like, rate, review, all that good stuff. Kate okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. What were they talking about? I
1: don't even know. They're talking about some ass thing. I really don't know. But I joined in and the guy was like, there are some club members in here who haven't been initiated to ass club.
0: Okay, you're so cool.
1: Yeah, that's why at the end, they were like naming off people and were like, Natalie, you're down. Chelsea, you're down. Going down the list. And I was like, bye. I don't want to be initiated to ass club.